All right, James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1, and verse number 1. We're only going to read one verse this morning, and so I'll give you a few minutes to get there. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Father God, I pray that you would guide us as we look at this new study. I pray for your wisdom. I pray, Lord, for your help. And I pray, Father, for the filling of the Holy Spirit upon myself to teach and upon all of us to hear. May we today be open to what the Bible has to say. May we desire it. May we want it. May we be changed by it. Use your word today. Fill this preacher today. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, we're embarking today on a new adventure, a new series of sermons that we're going to start, and this was by request. We put out a while back a little plea for uh, suggestions as to what folks would like to hear for the next series of sermons on Sunday morning in the book of James. Uh, one out, it was the one that got several different votes, and so we're going to start a, a study in the book of James. It's a short little book, it's only five chapters, 108 verses long, and it has as its primary subject matter, faith, faith. And more precisely, working faith, or a faith that works. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks, or as long as the Lord would have us to, uh, to be in this book. And uh, hopefully it'll be helpful. In this first lesson, I want to concentrate on just that one verse, that one verse that we read there, the opening verse, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. And actually, I'm going to narrow it down even further than that. We're not even going to talk about that whole verse. We're going to talk about the first three words. James, a bondservant. And there's not a whole lot I can say about that word, a. So we're really only going to talk about two words. James and bondservant. Or James and slave. Because as we'll see, that's really what it means. What he's saying there is James, a slave. As we look at this and as we concentrate on that, just that little phrase this morning in introducing this series on James, I think what we're going to see very clearly is that James pictured his whole point. He pictured the lessons that he was trying to convey. He pictured in himself the working faith that he wrote about in this letter of James. And so let's look at those two things. And let's look at them in the actually the reverse order in which they're written because I just prefer to look at them in the reverse order in which they're listen, written. So we're going to look at slave. First of all, James a slave, James a bond servant. Now the Bible makes it very clear here, does it not, that someone named James wrote this letter. Now we'll talk in just a few minutes about who that was, but whoever it was, he had a very humble view of himself, did he not? Because he said here, James, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about who this James was in just a few minutes, it's going to become clear. He could have used a few other adjectives to describe himself. He was an important person. He could have used some very regal and self-honoring terms. Some would say that he was of princely origin. He could have played on that. He was, uh, without doubt, one of the most influential leaders in the early church. Could have played on that. He was, as we'll see shortly, not just influential in the early church, but what some people would call the senior pastor of the megachurch at Jerusalem. During his ministry, it numbered in the multiplied thousands. He could have played on that. He was a contemporary of the Twelve Apostles. He hobnobbed with them, spent time with them. He knew and was a peer with the Apostle Paul and 
Peter and the others. He was on a level with the greatest names in Christianity, and yet he chose to call himself here James, a bondservant, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry commented on this. He said, though he was a prime minister in Christ's kingdom, yet he styles himself only a servant. James, a slave. Now, I imagine some of you struggle with that word, and we need to talk about that word a little bit because it's a word that is a problem to people. It has negative connotations in our society, does it not? None of us like that word slave. But as used in the Bible here, it's a positive word, and we need to understand that. As used in the Bible here, it's not describing the type of thing that we think of when we think of the word slave. It does not refer to the forcible taking of freedom from another, forcing them into a life of servitude and bondage. That's what we think of, is it not, when we think of the word slave? You know, the Civil War in this country was fought because there were people who practiced that form of slavery. And then there were other people in this country who thought it morally reprehensible to do so. That was at least one of the reasons the, the war was fought. You can't pick up a newspaper these days without reading something about the phenomenon of human trafficking, which is taking place about our world. It's another name for what we would call slavery. I did a little research on that. You know, that's happening all around us. It's happening all around our world. It's happening alarmingly in America. I've even read that our area here in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, is one of the really bad places for human trafficking. I, I read some statistics that were put out by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Kind of appalling. Did you know that between 14,000 and 17,000 people are trafficked into the United States every year? 14 to 17,000. Did you know that worldwide 800,000 are trafficked? In other words, sold into slavery. 50% of those trafficked into the United States are children. That just, that just appalls me. I want to punch somebody when I read something like that. How is that possible? 50% children. 46% are forced into prostitution. 27% are forced into domestic servitude. 10% are forced into the fields to work in agriculture. 5% are forced into factories to work in manufacturing. 12% unknown. The Department of Health and Human Services doesn't know where they are. When James called himself a bondservant, that is not what he was referring to. If he called himself a slave, he was not referring to that. By way of contrast, James was talking about something that is a completely different type of servitude. And, and, and I think, I think uh, that there are two, at least two different parts of the slavery, the servitude that he's talking about uh, that contrast it with it. It's not the same thing the Union Confederacy fought over. It's not the same thing that we call human trafficking. The slavery James was talking about was something that uh, at least there is a component of it that one is born into. The slavery that James was talking about, at least there's a component of it that is voluntary. Voluntary. Perhaps some definitional help. This is all. This is all from the Greek word doulos. Doulos, which is the primary New Testament word for slavery or servitude in the Bible. Let me read you a couple of definitions. Here's one. Though doulos is normally translated servant, the word does not bear the connotation of a free individual serving another. The most accurate translation is bondservant in that it often indicates one who sells himself into slavery to another. Voluntary. 
John MacArthur in his, in his study Bible said that bond servant, doulos, the common New Testament word for, for servant, although in Greek culture it most often referred to the involuntary permanent service of a slave, Paul elevated this word by using it in its Hebrew sense to describe a servant who willingly commits himself to serve a master he loves and respects. He said Paul in that quote because he was commenting on Romans chapter 1. Uh, that's where I got that from. But I think James is using it in the exact same in another place, MacArthur said, Dulos means a slave from birth. He was born into slavery by faith in Christ. He was born a slave. A Dulos had no concern for his food, no concern for his clothing, no concern for his housing. His master cared for all of that. It was not a title of dishonor. It was a title of honor, especially to a Jew. And so if we take all of those definitions together, you see we've got something quite different here. When James said James, a slave, he was not referring to the type of slavery that we think of. When he called himself a slave, James was saying he had chosen to be such, that it had started with his new birth when he was born again into the service of his king. That's what he meant when he said James, a slave. And when he called himself a slave, he was placing himself in a, in a list of the greatest names in Christianity and in, in, in the people of God. Even back in the Old Testament, all the giants of the faith were referred to as slaves, as servants of God. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 26, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Moses, in Joshua chapter 14 and verse number 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me. David, Psalm 89, verse 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, Elijah, in 2 Kings chapter 10, know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. On and on we could go. We could go to the New Testament and see Paul and Timothy and Peter and Jude and Epaphras, to name just a few. All were referred to as servants and slaves or referred to themselves that way. Even Jesus himself was referred to that way. Isaiah chapter 53, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Of course, we know Isaiah 53 is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it. He said in Mark chapter 10, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we need to hear it this morning. James, a bondservant. James, a slave. Because I think it sets the tone for the entire study in the book of James. As we work through James, we're going to increasingly realize that we need to be like James in this respect. We need to think of ourselves that same way. We need to recognize we're servants of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think James could talk about a faith that works, which he's going to talk about for five chapters here, because he modeled it, because it was true in his life, because he knew none of it was because of any merit in himself or any effort on his part. He knew himself to be totally and forever dependent on the one he served, James, a slave. One man said, it sounds like a terrible thing to be a servant, but it's not a terrible thing to be a servant of God. 
Life's greatest meaning and its greatest joy lie in this kind of servitude. The hymn writer said, The service of Jesus true pleasure affords. In him there is joy without an alloy. Tis heaven to trust him and rest on his words. It pays to serve Jesus each day. I hope as we study James that becomes clearer. I hope that as we study James, we can all say of ourselves, think of ourselves like James did. I am a servant, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a little dog. Our little dog's name is Bullet. Some of you have met Bullet. Bullet is a schnoodle. We named Bullet Bullet because he is as fast as a bullet. Bullet has a cage that we keep him in whenever we're not home. And some people have a problem with that. Some people would say, well, that's just so unkind of you to put that dog in a cage and lock him up and take away his and uh, the fact is, when we think about that, it kind, of, it kind of pictures what we think of when we think of slavery, does it not? Stuck in a cage, freedom taken away. But you know, we've trained Bullet to go to his cage. All we've got to say is, Bullet, get in your cage. And just like a bullet, he's in his cage. And do you know where Bullet likes to go during the day when there's nothing exciting going on? He goes to his cage. Do you know where he likes to go when he gets a little bit nervous or afraid? He needs a little security? He goes to his cage. We don't tell him to go there. We don't make him go there. He chooses to go there. Because you see, the cage to him is a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's a place of safety. It's a place he wants to be. I, I don't know if that's a good example of what James is talking about here, but I think it might be. This servitude, this slavery James is describing is good. It's positive. It's the way to happiness and joy in the Christian life. One man said this, he said, try to turn Christianity on its head by making it a matter of God serving you instead of you serving God, and the power and joy of it will elude you. But turn it right side up by understanding that you are to serve God and that you will never have a higher privilege than being nothing but a servant, and you will no longer have to look for joy in Christianity. The joy of it will find you. And so I pray that we'll all come to understand that joy of serving as we go through this study. Well, let's move off that word. Let's move to the other word. James, a servant. The Holy Spirit made it clear the author of this book was somebody named James. So who was that? Well, there are four men in the New Testament named James. Four. One is James, the son of Alphaeus. He was one of the twelve apostles. And we know James, the son of Alphaeus, because he is listed in the various lists of the apostles. For example, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3 says, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labias, whose surname was Thaddeus, and other places. Every place there's a list of the apostles, we see James, the son of Alphaeus. But we never see James, the son of Alphaeus, anyplace else. Not listed anyplace but there. So he's one of them, James, the son of Alphaeus. There's another one, James the Apostle, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. You remember him, Peter, James, and John. They're spoken of together all the time. James and John were the Boanerges, the sons of thunder, and the sons of Zebedee. This James was martyred under Herod Agrippa in AD 44. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This James was also one of the twelve, as was the son of Alphaeus. He was one of the three who were closest to Jesus. He was a member of the inner circle. 
one would think that he might be a good possibility for the one who wrote this book, this letter. There's a third one, James, the father of Judas, not Iscariot. Interestingly, there are two James in the list of the disciples. There are also two Judases in the list of the disciples, and there had to be some way to distinguish the two. No one wanted to be associated with the one Judas Iscariot, and so there is the other James. And he was the son of, or the other Judas, I mean, and he was the son of James. Luke chapter 6, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. The differentiation is seen there. Acts chapter 1, verse 13, when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. When they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Interestingly, all three that I've mentioned so far in that one verse, James, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Alphaeus and James, the father of Judas. And then there's a fourth one, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can't be actually dogmatic about this. There, are, there is some disagreement, although not much, about who wrote the book of James. But I think we can say all the evidence points to the fact that James, the Lord's brother, is the one who wrote the book of James. James, the father of Judas, is such a minor character. He's only mentioned to differentiate his son from somebody else. We know nothing about him. We just discount him immediately. He doesn't seem to be even a player. James, the son of Alphaeus, was one of the twelve, and there is a possibility. Matthew Henry actually says that he believes James, the son of Alphaeus, was the author of the book. I don't think it's true. There's very little biblical evidence and very little historical evidence to support it. And James, the brother of John, was already in heaven because he'd already been martyred. Uh, by Herod Agrippa I. As one commentator put it, he had already been separated from his head by the time this particular book was written. So that leaves us with James, the half-brother of the Lord, as the author of this book, or the Lord's brother, as Paul called him. So what do we know about this guy? Who was James? What do we know about him? Well, we know, first of all, that he was the half-brother of Jesus. And I wonder, uh, did you know that Jesus had brothers? Some people don't know that. Jesus had brothers. Jesus had sisters. Half-brothers and half-sisters anyway, because we know Jesus was uh, born of uh, a human mother and the Holy Spirit of God. So his father was God. Their father was Joseph. But the, interesting, there's all kinds of verses that tell us this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. There's four brothers right there. I'll mention, and James is one of them. Also in Mark chapter 6, in verse number 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters, plural, here with us? So he had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. He might have had more. Of each, we don't know, but that's just what's mentioned for us in the Bible. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Paul in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so one thing we know about him is he was brother of the Lord, half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing we know about him is he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. In Acts chapter 15, we have the first church council. We talked about this when we were in the book of Acts. James is seen presiding over that council. Paul referred to James as the principal leader in the Jerusalem church. When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised Galatians chapter 2. And so they seemed to be pillars, a term which would indicate... Uh, a ruling role. 
Acts chapter 12, Peter singled James out, indicating he was a leader of the brethren. Peter said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And so it would seem that James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. John MacArthur comments on this. He has this to say about the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. He says, and I quote, when they came to Jerusalem, verse number 17 says, the brethren received us gladly, and the day following Paul went in with us, went in with us unto James. And again, we see James in a presiding role. And I want to enforce to you that no matter what you have in the local church in terms of a plurality of elders, you will still have some leaders over leaders. And you have here in the case of James, a man in a presiding position. All the elders were present. You have all the elders being present, and yet you have James in the responsibility of presiding. James, if we can borrow a contemporary term, has become senior pastor of the first church at Jerusalem. End quote. And so, brother of the Lord leader of the church at Jerusalem. Another thing we know about James is that he didn't believe at first. He didn't believe in Jesus at first. Mark chapter 3, when his own people heard about this, depending on the translation you're holding, it might say his family. When his own family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. That's what James thought of Jesus at first. He's nuts. In John chapter 7, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe in him. And so we know that at first, he didn't believe in Jesus. But then an amazing thing happened. Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen by Cephas, by the twelve, by over 500 brethren at once. After that, he was seen by James. James. <laughs> Imagine what that meeting must have been like. And we know that he was martyred in 62 A.D. Now, there are a couple of traditions about the martyrdom of James. Josephus says that he was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin. Clement of Alexandria says he was pushed off the wall of the temple. And I read some other accounts that seem to try to combine those two different things and say that he was pushed off the wall of the temple and then clubbed to death on the ground below. So that's James. James, a slave. Think about it for a minute about this man. He had grown up in the same house with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother. I don't know if you, if you realize this or not, if you really thought this too, but Jesus never got in trouble. Jesus never got a spanking, ever. Jesus never got scolded for anything. As adults, we marvel and rejoice at the fact that he was, uh, he was tempted in all points just like we are, but yet without sin. We marvel at that, but that would have been pretty stinking difficult to live with as a brother. Your perfect brother sitting over here. He grew up with him that way. I have two brothers and one sister. When we were growing up, one of us was always in some sort of mischief, as you can well imagine. There are some stories that are part of the Johnson family lore that will probably go down in history. One of them is unsolved to this day. A crime that took place that has been unsolved to this day. 
And my mother listens to these tapes sometimes, so I'm sure she'll probably hear this and it'll give her a laugh, but uh, it is a crime that was committed. Apparently, my mother came home, and I have to say right at the beginning I'm innocent in all of this, but apparently my mother came home uh, from someplace, and the kitchen was completely and totally destroyed. In complete disarray. I, I don't know what had happened, but she screamed for everybody to come and clean up this mess that they had made, and of course, nobody was around. And so she cleaned it up herself. And as she was cleaning it up, she was dismayed to discover that somehow pickle juice had gotten splattered all over everything. And she began to clean this up, and to her great dismay, she discovered that pickle juice had even gotten splattered all over the ceiling of the kitchen. And so to this day, she is trying to figure out who spread the pickle juice all over the kitchen. There were inquisitions. There was all kinds of times where we were sat down. Who spread the pickle juice all over the ceiling? Of course, I know nothing about it, and neither did anyone else. We were all innocent, and no one has confessed to this day. You know, I can guarantee you that if that had been Joseph and Mary's house, you know what would have happened? All of the other kids would have been over here getting questioned, and Jesus would have been sitting over here, because they wouldn't even have thought of questioning him, because he didn't do things like that. Can you imagine growing up in a house like that? Once they reached adulthood, it was the other brothers against Jesus. (laughs) His public ministry only provided more opportunities for them to dislike and ridicule him and disbelieve in him. They thought he was nuts. They really did. We read a verse that said that. They thought he was a crackpot. They thought he was out of his mind. James stood with his brothers against him. And then there came a day when Jesus, James' brother, was murdered on a cross. And regardless of what James must have thought of him, regardless of whether he believed in him, I've got to believe there's a family relationship there. That had to be a hard day. James had to look in confusion and wonder as his followers, Jesus' followers, fled into hiding. And then amazingly, before, before he could even get his mind around that, before he could get that processed in his mind, there came this day when somebody walked up behind him and tapped him on the shoulder. And he turned around and he looked into the eyes of his risen brother. I I imagine him saying, hi, Jimmy. I don't know why, I just think of something like that. Something personal. Hi, Jimmy. Can you imagine what must his reaction have been? Stunned silence? Likely. Amazement? Absolutely. Tears of joy and happiness? Probably. Worship? I believe so. You see, now it was clear why little Jesus never got a spanking. He was the Son of God. Now it was clear he was Lord. And James knew him as such from that moment on. Once he had stood in the crowd of mockers, and now he hurried to join the disciples hiding. We see him in the upper room with the apostles and other believers. While they selected a replacement for Judas, he was there. He wasn't considered for that role because he was an infinite baby. But he was there. He was there when the The Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. 
he was there. And although we have no details of the process, somehow this man grew in stature and influence to become the leader of the church of Jerusalem. From the moment of that wondrous post-resurrection meeting with his brother, he would refer to himself as James, a bondservant, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a slave. Let me, let me end with just a couple questions this morning. Let me ask you some, just two things. Number one, do you believe, as James did, that Jesus is Lord? Have you met Jesus and watched in awe as the risen Son of God changed your life? Has that happened to you? Perhaps you once were in the crowd that ridiculed Christianity, but then you met the Master. He changed your life. He cleaned you up. He saved you forever. Is that your story? Does that describe you? You see, if James had never come to that place, if James had simply gone down in history as a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, he would have died lost, and he would have gone to hell. It was not his earthly family connection that saved him, that brought him into the family of God. It was that encounter with the risen Savior, and it must be the same with you. What are you trusting in? Family connections. My parents have always been in church, Pastor. I just follow their footsteps. They've always gone, so I go. Hmm. Is that your testimony? Because if it is, James would ask you, wait a minute, wait a minute. It wasn't enough for me. I was born in his house. I lived in the same home with him. James would ask, when did you meet Jesus? I grew up around him, but I was lost. And until the day I saw him as the risen Son of God and believed, I was lost. Have you had such an encounter with the risen Savior? If not, I say on the authority of Scripture this morning, you are lost. And if you die today, you will go straight to hell. The Bible teaches it. It is true. Jesus stands ready to save you today if you'll only say yes. You know what? Some folks this morning, if that's your case, you need to come to this altar in just a moment when we sing. And get saved today. You need to do it. Question number two. Question number two. Do you consider yourself to be a bondservant? a slave of Jesus Christ. You know, the first question was for those who never met Jesus, but this question is for those who claim you have. You know, the book of James is written to that, that group, that second group. The book of James is not written to the lost. The book of James is written to those of us who are saved, those of us who profess to be believers, those of us who say we have faith. Is that you? If so, does your life reflect it? Do your choices reflect it? Do you live as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you pray as the Puritan prayed, Lord, use me as thou wilt. Do with me what thou wilt. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. It is thy cause and kingdom I long for, not my own. Can you pray that? Do you pray it? Because you see, it's that kind of faith we're going to learn about as we study the book of James. A faith that serves a faith that works. And some might need to come this morning and just kneel at this altar and say, Lord, make me that kind of a servant. I have not been. I want to be. Make me a servant today. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ.